0: Everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. BFW's award-nominated podcast network is here once again, and I'm glad to be leading this podcast for you. Of course, last week I had uh, the week off because I was on vacation, and Samrin did a fantastic job filling in. Uh, doing these podcasts solo is not always easy, but she handled it with aplomb. So. I was really happy to have her be able to sit in and lead this show to keep it consistent. So big thanks to her. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. And we'll get straight to it. First, let's tackle a couple of things. I sound like crap. I'm a little bit under the weather right now. So bear with my voice. No, I did not start smoking three packs of Camels and drinking whiskey all day. Didn't happen yet. I could be there at some point, but but not yet. I just sound like crap because I'm a little under the weather. Of course, I was in Florida last week, so it makes sense. i uh can't go away and have fun without something bad happening. That's the story of my life. so uh feeling okay but sound worse than I actually feel. but uh, you know it's crazy that the one week that I took off, everything happened like everything happened. <laughs> uh the bFW staffers did a just did an excellent job in in being able to cover everything. I was able to stay on top of things just by following the site and the Twitter account. Uh, just so much, so much went on. I mean, from Robert Lewandowski officially transferring to FC Barcelona to Matthijs DeLict coming in to Matisse Tell, all of the legwork being done for his move, Chris Richards leaving. It was just absolutely nuts. Serge Gnabry re-upping his deal. Everything was crazy, but the staffers did a great job. I couldn't be more proud of the way they handled it. And were able to stay on top of every story, which is super important because everything changes and evolves so quickly. It becomes a 24 seven operation to be able to keep up with it all. And they just did excellent with it. So, uh, just proves that, uh, I'm pretty much replaceable. So, uh, don't get any ideas, but, uh, I think, you know, if they're going to plan a coup, uh, I think they know they can do the job now. So, uh, Seriously though, great work. And uh, it's kind of where I'm going to to start off on this. And you know, we go through the format every week of five things we learned, and I'm gonna stick with it, but I'm gonna kind of go through and and kind of adapt it a little bit as I work through these topics. And the first thing that I learned last week is that I cannot afford to go away again. <laughs> I just kidding, I will go away at some point, but it was absolutely nuts. So I'm gonna give you some quick takes on. All of those bigger moves that went down when I was out, and there's no bigger move than Robert Lewandowski moving to FC Barcelona. Of course, this has been long rumored, and Lewandowski had really wanted to make this move. I think Bayern Munich had come to the realization that they were not going to be able to keep him happy and that it needed to do something. I don't think at this point that they got quite enough for him, but they did about as good as they could do, I guess. Uh, I would have liked to have seen more around 65 million euro for Lewandowski, but it, it does make sense. He wanted to go. There was little to no leverage for Bayern Munich. Keeping him really wasn't a good option because we know that he can unravel a little bit and become a distraction. And and, you know, a couple of things I'll say about him. One, it's completely fair that he wanted to take on a new challenge and do something else. Two, he was absolutely one of the best players in the club's history. Just a fantastic individual player, a fantastic player within the team concept. He did so many little things that made the team better. He held the standard of excellence extremely high. He pushed his teammates to be better. Those are things that you really can not account for in a stat sheet, but he fulfilled all of those. Uh, I truly think he's one of the great players uh, of this era. Uh, I, I know that most people point to Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo as the top two, and it'd be tough to argue against that, but Lewandowski absolutely deserves to be mentioned in the top five at a minimum he is has been that good and uh I think rather than be bitter about him leaving, uh, I think you know the proper way to to look at this is that it was just a natural breakup. Uh, Two different entities wanted to go their own way and Lewandowski knew he wanted to do something else, take on a new challenge. And Bayern Munich at the same time uh, did not want to be in a position where they were holding a player against his will and also needed to find a way to work through toward their own future and find a way to move forward. So Lewandowski, good luck to him moving forward. He definitely uh, deserved to be able to, to kind of pick out his future and go the direction that he wanted to. Uh, just a tremendous player, and he will be absolutely missed. There is no way to replace him. Uh, a couple of the other big moves, Matisse Delight, Uh I'll pronounce that correctly this time. <laughs> Matisse Delight, Uh, He absolutely is one of the players that I think most people did not think Bayern Munich was going to be able to get But here we are after initial doubt and then how this whole thing evolved. Byron was able to get him, get him at a pretty good price. I mean, this is a player who at 22 could potentially be a foundational center back for your club for the next 10 to 12 years. If he sticks around, Um, he is a a natural leader. He's already started to assert himself in that position uh, in the team. He is a player who brings a lot to the table in terms of his defensive ability, his passing, his ability to contribute offensively by getting into the box on set pieces. Uh, he is an all around center back, a new, a new wave next generation option for Bayern Munich. He's the type of player that I think Nicholas Sula was on the road to being. And uh, I, and I, I think at this point you could even argue Sula could even be a little bit ahead of the lick just because of the experience factor. But, uh, with every season with every game, Delict is going to get better and better. I truly believe that. And I think he was a, a great addition. It's amazing that Brazo was able to get this deal done. Uh, once it became clear that Delict was convinced that he needed to move to Bayern Munich that he wanted to move to Bayern Munich, that it was his, really his only choice, uh, Juventus had to had to find a way to make it work where they could get enough money to make it palatable, but also, um, you know, appease what the player wanted. And I think both parties made a good deal uh, for Bayern Munich. This is truly an excellent position because, as we know, uh, Dio Upamakano was up and down last season. Benjamin Pavar, his future is uncertain. Luca Hernandez has a couple of years left on his deal. We don't know exactly what direction he's going to go in yet. So having a player like Ligt, it was it was it was essential. They needed to get a center back like that. They needed to bring in somebody who was going to be able to be that foundational piece, that leader, and I think they got their man. Uh, a couple of other smaller moves, of course. <clears throat> Serge Gnabry re-upped his deal, which is um, it's good news. Listen, Gnabry is a great player. Uh, for as much as he's been, he's been up and down in the past couple of seasons. He's an undeniable talent. He does produce, and he comes up big in big moments. There's something to be said for that. And I don't mind the signing at all. I like the signing, but at the same time, I think some other domino has to fall now. Uh, I don't see any way how Julian Nagelsmann can keep all these guys happy. When you have Thomas Muller and Sadio Mane and Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman and Jamal Musiala and Paul Vonner and Gabriel Vidovich, how are you keeping all of these guys happy? You're not. It's not going to happen. Somebody is going to be disgruntled right now. My odds would be on Leroy Sané given how he's performed, but um, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but uh, you know, while this is a good move, it was also a move of excess. So with Gnabry re-upping, I do feel like there will be some fallout at some point. Uh, one of the other bigger moves that that came in was Matisse Tell, a young 17-year-old French striker, supposed to be the next Kylian Mbappe. We'll see about that. Uh, You know, I can't sit here and say one way or the other how I feel about Tell because I've never seen him play. Uh, All I can do is go off of the reports that we've read and everyone seems to like him. He has a lot of talent, but talent doesn't always uh, work out. It's not a sure thing. Uh, While he may have some great physical attributes and may be uh, a player who, you know, they've talked about how good he is at reading the game and thinking through the game. All of those things are great, and it's a great foundation, but can he do it at the top level of Bayern Munich? That's something that I think we're going to all have to see with our own eyes. Um, Bayern Munich is not the easiest place to play. It can can absolutely defeat someone. So young Matisse still is going to have to work through any adversity. He's going to have to be persistent, and he's going to have to stay confident. The minute he loses his confidence – that could be the uh, be-all, end-all for him at Bayern Munich. So a great talent, uh, a good prospect. We'll see how this all plays out. I don't think I'm quite ready to say he's going to replace Robert Lewandowski by any means, but we'll see how he looks and how he progresses over the course of this season. And of course, the the one that hurt the most was an outgoing transfer, and that was Chris Richards uh, moving to Crystal Palace. Um, I think the writing was on the wall for a long time with Chris. He uh, obviously is a good talent, um, proved himself as a starter in the Bundesliga while at Hoffenheim on loan, uh, has just good physical attributes, great skill. He is really a new age defender, someone who I would have loved to have seen stay at Bayern Munich to partner with someone like Matisse De Ligt. It it is uh, disappointing to see him go to say the least, but it's a good opportunity for him. Hopefully he can establish himself, get into the starting 11 at Crystal Palace. And really be able to show what his talent is. And I think it. if there was one thing about Bayern Munich that, that Chris Richards did not get out of it, he did get exposure through the loan to Hoffenheim and he did continue to progress and evolve his game, but he did not get the opportunity to really prove himself at the Allianz Arena. And I think he would have really liked to have done that. Um, good kid, great attitude, bright future ahead of him. It was uh, definitely disappointing to see him leave, but at the same time, his role on this season squad would have been limited. So um, that'll about wrap up that first thing that we learned. <laughs> the second thing I learned is that there still could be moves coming down the pike, but I wouldn't expect anything crazy. And that includes Conrad Leimer, as it appears more and more doubtful that Bayern Munich and RB Leipzig are going to be able to sync up and get a deal done. Leipzig continuously is expressing the need for €30 million Euro for Limer And Bayern at this point does not look like they're going to be able to match that or be able to come close. So if Bayern wants Limer and Limer wants Bayern, they may have to wait until after this season. And it sounds like both sides might be content to do that. Numerous reports have indicated that Limer and Bayern Munich have reached an agreement on personal terms. But at this stage, unless Arbe Leipzig decides to change their tune, Uh, It looks like he could be spending the rest of the season working under Domenico Tedesco rather than Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, When we look at other potential moves for Bayern Munich, I don't see many that are out there. The only one that kind of sticks out at this point is if the club decided they wanted to go out and get a backup left back, which I don't think is all that much of a necessity at this point for several reasons. First, you have Luka Hernandez who can shift from that center back position out to left back if needed. Uh, You have so much depth at center back at this point that it's it's probably not a necessity to to hustle out and get that left back, that backup left back. But you also have Josip Stanisic who uh, has been known mostly for his ability to play right back at Bayern Munich, but he is also proficient at the left back position. So, Right now, if I'm Byron, it's not a major necessity for me. I'm probably not going to press and think I need to go out and get a backup left back at this point. Um, To me, uh, there really isn't a pressing or urgent need. In terms of the attack, Byron needs nothing. They are overfilled at the attack. So if anything, it's that central midfield position, given that Leon Goretzka had knee surgery, given that he'll be out six to eight weeks, given that there's no guarantee he's going to come back healthy or even be able to reach the same level that he has previously shown. um, I could see Byron going out and and seeing what's on the market if they can't get Limer, taking a look at some free transfers, taking a look at some cheap veteran options if needed, but I'm not so sure much will get done. If anything, there might be one or two smaller moves. I could see some players being loaned out, but as far as players coming in um, I don't expect too much to happen from this point forward. I think Byron is a pretty deep squad right now. I think it's a lot of players for Julian Nagelsmann to manage. And I think that's going to be one of the more difficult aspects of his journey this season. Uh, the third thing that we learned this week is there were absolutely some winners and some losers from the U S tour. Um I'll start with the winners, and I think that a couple of players really showed well and were able to to give an idea that they are uh, on the right path, that they are capable. So I thought Kingsley Coman had, had, you know, at a time when some of the players in the attacking group have have not had the desire to be really versatile and move around, Coman has been willing to drop back and play a wing back role to to shift around that front line and and he was used in a variety of different ways but i think coman has has proven that he's one of the best 11 players on the team and no matter what role he's in i think he has shown that he's very capable of contributing so for me he was one of the winners in this and you could say well that's a pretty obvious one he's an established player yeah he is but at the same time you have this huge attacking group and you don't know what formation Julian Nagelsmann is going to run and and competition, no matter how you slice it, whether it's three attackers or four attackers, there's a lot of talent there. And And I'm not so sure that the way this is all meshing together and mixing that some, that one, that everyone's going to remain happy. And two, that there's, that there's going to be a lot of room for Nagelsmann to move people around once they settle in. So Uh, the fact that Coman was able to go out and show his versatility and show he can do a couple of different things will make him valuable in Julian Nagelsman's eyes for sure. I thought Ryan Gravenberch was another one who showed well. Same for Marcel Sabitzer. It was key for both of those players to at least come out and play decent with Leon Gretzka being injured. Uh, right now I have Sabitzer ahead of Gravenberch. I think being the veteran, being someone who looks like he's playing with a bit of a chip on his shoulder now after a really tough season last year. uh, I think Sabitzer is ready to come out and, and show what he can do. And it was kind of funny that, you know, after he had a relatively good showing in those two games, that we're still seeing stories that, that Bayern Munich is open to selling him. And it's part of, it's not shocking because I think that they want to, be able to use Ryan graven and not have this veteran presence around him uh, in terms of Sabitzer because it would make life easy to use graven If Sabitzer's still around and he's performing, he's probably a better player than graven at this stage, which means Bayern, if they want to win games, are going to more likely use that player that is more experienced, that has shown better, and that has a bigger track record. Uh, for Gravin Birch, um, <clears throat> I was a little confused when he signed. Uh, he's obviously a talent, and I think that he's, he's got a bright future. Um, how much playing time he's going to get off the bat, I don't know. And if Goretzka does come back and he looks solid and he's able to recapture his form, or if Conrad Leimer comes in and he's able to play like he's capable of, I'm not really sure where Gravin Birch will fit. And he's in that similar to Sabitzer's role last year where Sabitzer came in with really nowhere to play. So he got moved around to left back and played some wing and it just never really worked out. So um, I'll be keeping an eye on Gravin Birch and Sabitzer, but I thought that they, along with Coman, both looked good. I thought Serge Gnabry was okay and, and didn't do himself Any harm, Uh, in fact, I think he did himself some favors. So, um, you know, with that, when you have players around like Thomas Muller and uh, some of the other players that were in the attack, uh, like Sadio Mane before he had to leave uh, to go to that awards presentation, I think there were definitely players that helped themselves. As for some of the players that did not help themselves, um, for some of them it doesn't matter. Like Joshua Kimmich, I, I think he still doesn't look the same. Um, and he hasn't looked the same since uh, he tested positive for COVID last season. And, you know, <clears throat> I think it's easy to sit here and and trash him because he's not playing up to the level that we've all seen him play before. And I think there's a little bit of an overreaction in the fan base uh, with Kimmich because for so long he was the golden boy and he could do no wrong. But he did have the controversy with not getting vaccinated. Then he tested positive, And then he never really got back on track. And I do think that turned some of the fan base against him. Now, for me, I could care less uh, about Kimmich and his personal choices, like whatever about that. I'm not going to judge a player based on that. But I will say that I don't like the way that he's played necessarily. He looks almost a step slow like he doesn't have the same motor that he had. And we know that COVID has had some long-term effects on athletes. So hopefully this is just a case of Kimmich needing to get himself one fully back in shape and two fully back in form. Uh, Bayern Munich absolutely needs him. And I don't think he was terrible on the U S tour, but he's still not playing up to that level that we all expect him to play. So that's something, something else we need to keep an eye on. A couple of other players that I think were losers, um, Uh, Benjamin Pavard, and I don't think he was a loser because of how he played. I just think the acquisition of Matthias DeLicht was was a bad omen for Pavard and his willingness to move to center back this season. I, I am one of the people that don't think Pavard was all that bad last year. I really don't. I thought he had a good season. Like everyone else on that Bayern team, he had some down moments, but I thought overall he was good, and I think him moving to center back had a lot of potential, and I think that, you know, Like Julian Nagelsmann, I feel like, you know, one, Pavar is versatile. Two, he's very talented. And three, he's the type of player that can come in and be very impactful and play the center back position really well. And also, because he's versatile, be able to bump out to right back if you need him to. Uh, He definitely is, is a player that could hold a role, but will he be happy if he's not one of the starting center backs? As you know, if you think about it from his perspective right now, you don't know if Byron is going to use a back three or back four. If Pavar is not one of those starting center backs in a back three, especially, it seems like that would be a really bad sign for him. And it could be uh, something that really pushes him to want to move on. We do know that Chelsea is interested in him and that'll be something that we could potentially watch over the next few weeks, especially if Pavar looks like he will be on the outside looking in from playing time. Finally, the the player who I think was probably the biggest loser in the the preseason, the U.S. tour, was Leroy Sané. And listen, we've talked about Sané a million times. We've talked about how talented he is. We've also talked about how he's been in a rut for months now, and it did not look like he has gotten out of that. Now, there are a couple things at play. I don't think he's being asked to play his best position, which is a natural left wing. Um, Whether it's because of the formation or whether it's because Julian Nagelsmann is trying him in different areas, I don't see Leroy Sané as an attacking midfielder. I don't see him as someone who can excel playing in the middle of the field. I think he is an out-and-out offensive winger who can play in a front, uh, or I'm sorry, he can play in a back four setup, um, but he's not a wing back. He's not going to play in a back three. He's he's definitely best playing in a four two three one or a four three three. I just don't know if he's going to be able to fix himself if he's constantly shifting between positions, or if he's not playing. And then that's the big thing. The you know for as much as we had heard about Sane's diva like tendencies coming from Manchester City, he did show that he is a hard worker. He did show that he was willing to learn under Hansi Flick, and he did improve his defense. But is also proven to be pouty here. I wouldn't go out as far as to call him an out-and-out diva, but he definitely pouts. He definitely is affected uh, by not playing. He doesn't seem like the kind of player that keeps that naturally positive attitude about his outlook if he's not on the field. It seems like it really does affect him. And I get that because he's so competitive and he's so talented. He wants to be on the pitch. But on this Bayern Munich team, I'm not sure he's one of the best four attackers. Uh, depending on how Nagelsmann aligns these guys, uh, I think more often than not, Sunny is going to find himself on the outside looking in, which is going to be interesting to see how he handles it, because I don't think he's going to be a fan. And with some of the more persistent rumors we're seeing now, with some of the Premier League teams being interested in him, including Arsenal, um, I think those are going to grow more and more. And I think that you know, Sané will be one of the candidates to, to potentially want to leave after the season because I don't think he's going to get the playing time that he wants. So for the final two parts of what I learned over the course of this week, I'm going to focus on a couple of things. First, I'm going to talk about some potential red flags for the season because I did learn that there are some potential potholes here on the pathway to success for Bayern Munich. And one of the things is is something I've touched on previously in this podcast, and that's just the, the overall glut of talent that Byron has. I don't know if Julian Nagelsmann can keep all of these players happy. And I know it's easy for a lot of fans to sit back and say, well, that's not my problem. You get the best players, you put the best team out, and if you're not good enough, you don't play. That's great. It's a great attitude. But in reality, there's fallout from that. And having a big team like this, Having a lot of talent, having a lot of high maintenance talent, it's not going to be easy for Nagelsmann. Someone who's not this great established coach right now. He's still young. It's still only his second year at Bayern Munich, and he's never won anything other than one Bundesliga title, right? So he's he's not Yopinkis coming, and he's not Hansi Flick. You know, he's not Carlo Ancelotti. He is a he is a, a coach that still has a lot to prove. And while he may be young and brilliant and he may be a hard worker, he's also dealing with a high-maintenance locker room, a locker room who probably think they all know better than negotiate times. So uh, this is not going to be an easy task for him. I think he's going to have a lot of issues. And I think he's going to have trouble keeping people happy. And I think Leroy Sané could potentially be one of those... Uh, players that really it becomes a thorn in the side of Nagelsmann because he is just a player that needs to be on the pitch and if he's not he gets unhappy one of the other red flags that I think has has really um has come up for me is that I appreciate that Julian Nagelsmann likes to tinker I appreciate that he likes to have versatility with his formations and adaptability and have his players be able to shift in and out but I'm a little worried now that this is never going to settle. I'm a little worried that he's going to go from game to game, going from system to system, from formation to formation, and that no players are ever going to get settled into a role that there will not be a a really sense of comfort within the roster. Players could be coming in and out, depending on formations, uh, depending on form, depending on a lot of things. And I'm a little worried about that part of it. Um, I'm not one of the people that thinks you need to, to sit in a four-two-three-one and that's it and there's no other way to play. As I've been saying for months, I think Nagelsmann needs to be able to coach his way and be allowed to succeed or fail on his own terms, to be able to pick his formation, to be able to pick his players, and to be able to try and do the best he can with what he can and what he knows how to do. I'm just a little worried that he is such a tinkerer that he can't contain himself, that he's got all of these weapons and then he just sits at home and puts together formation after formation and alignment after alignment and, and player combination with player combination. And I think he just toys and toys around with it and that he never is going to settle on anything. Uh, and, and that worries me because I think at some point and at some level, you have to have a, an identity. You have to have a system that you identify with And while you might be able to move around and jump around from game to game, there has to be one fallback way to play that is your team identity. And I'm scared that without that identity, that Bayern Munich is never going to be able to settle in and get comfortable enough to really achieve what they could. Um, And let's be honest. This was always going to be hard without Robert Lewandowski. Uh, Things got immensely harder with him leaving. And while you do add players like Sadio Mane, who is who is excellent, you add uh Serge Gnabry back into the fold by re-upping him. There's no danger of losing him. You bring in Matisse de Licht, who could come in and stabilize your defense, you're missing the best striker in the world. That that's a you know, that's 10 steps back right away. There is really no reason to think at this stage that this Bayern Munich team is going to be one that's capable of winning the Champions League. Can they win the Bundesliga? Sure. Yeah, they can. There will be, in my estimation, four very good Bundesliga teams. Bayern will still be at the top of the list. Can they win the DFB Pokal? It's a little more questionable, honestly, because we don't know how much Nagelsmann's going to tinker when he gets to those games. But the Champions League is a whole other game, And... As I said about having a team identity, if it's not there, it's going to be extremely difficult for Byron to be able to lean back on something and fall back on it and be able to fight forward on it if they don't have it there. So I am a little worried about that. So those are some of the biggest red flags I see. And, and, and again, it involves personnel management from Nogglesman and how he can keep everyone happy. And if he can keep himself from over tinkering uh, with this lineup and these formations and that does definitely worry me. So those are the two big red flags I've seen, but it's easy to sit here at this stage and be negative because obviously when you see a team like Manchester city, they look pretty complete. And when you add Erling Hall on to that mix, once they figure out how to use him, I think that that man city team is going to be head and shoulders above everyone else in Europe. Uh, they still haven't even scraped the surface on what they can do with Haaland. So uh, once they figure that out, it's it's to me, it's game over for everyone else. Um, but the fifth thing that I learned this week is that there is a lot of reason to be optimistic. And, and I'm going to preface what I say here is, you know, we went through this battle last year at the end of the season when people were assessing Nagelsmann's first year at Bayern Munich. Was it successful? Was it not? What do you define success at? Um, for a lot of people, success is is really only achieved by winning the Champions League. I'm very optimistic about many things with this team. I'm not so optimistic to think that the winning the Champions League is going to be attainable this season. All right, But still, even despite that, there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic and excited. Let's just look at a couple of them. One, you have just a sensational talent base here. Um, I think with Thomas Muller being the focal point of the offense, being the true leader out on the pitch, I think that he is going to be able to, to help get the best out of players like Sadio Mane and Serge Gnabry and even Jamal Musiala. I, I want to see Mueller and Musiala playing together. I'm not one of these either or guys. I, I want to see them playing together one way or the other. I think if Musiala is one of the best 11 players on the team, then he should be playing. Um, and I think with all of that talent, and despite some of the red flags I might see with the player management, I think with all of that talent, you're going to be able to win games because one, you're going to be faster than a lot of teams. Just the team speed is tremendous, but two, you're going to be able to overwhelm a lot of teams with the amount of skill that you have, with the amount of persistence offensively that you have with the stability that I think can be built on that back line with the lict and Luca Hernandez, and potentially even Benjamin Pavar, and Pumacano, if they can really settle into the center back position and play up to their own abilities. Um, so I, I do think there's just a lot of reason to be optimistic and excited about this team um, just from the general standpoint of the overall talent base. And, and anytime you're starting with Manuel Neuer and that you're already one step ahead of the game, right? Another reason I think that I, one fans should be excited too. They should be optimistic is that this could be the season that we finally see Thomas Muller rise up from the shadows of Robert Lewandowski. And I think in a lot of ways, Robert Lewandowski was both the best thing and worst thing for Thomas Muller's career. In some ways, it was the best thing because Thomas Muller had to adapt. He was not going to be the number one scorer when Robert Lewandowski arrived. Thomas Muller was going to have to figure out different ways to play the game. He was going to have to learn how to be more creative. He was going to have to take a playmaker's mentality. And he embraced those things and became the best playmaker in Europe. He became the point guard for the Bayern Munich offense. Uh, He was able to add different points to his game while complementing those already great things he already was able to do. Finding space, making creative runs, slipping away from defenders. Now he was doing all that, but he was doing it mostly to set up Robert Lewandowski. What I want to see out of Thomas Muller this season is to stop being the setup man. Stop being the playmaker all the time start being the scorer again. Because I think if Thomas Muller gets that killer mentality back, gets that scoring mentality back, he can be such a dynamic weapon, given everything else around him. Think about it. Sadio Mane, Serge Gnabry, Kingsley Coman, Jamal Musiala. Those are all great attackers. These are all attackers that can create space and create offense for Thomas Muller. He doesn't need to be the John Stockton to Lewandowski's Carl Malone anymore. Although I guess Carl Malone's not such a great uh, example these days, but you know what I'm saying, okay? I want to see Thomas Muller rise up, take his game to another level, even at an advanced stage, and become that killer that I think has always been there, but has been kind of tucked away because he's known that for the team to reach its potential, for the team to be at its best, he had to put his ego away and help build up Lewandowski's. If there's anything Muller has done over the years, that's the biggest thing. That's why Bayern Munich was able to go through and win that sextuple because of sacrifices by players like Thomas Muller. So I think with Lewandowski having gone, it should be very exciting for fans to see what Thomas Muller can do. And I think he's going to rise to the occasion and really show the world his talent once more. And it will probably make a lot of people think, what if things had played out a little bit differently? What if Thomas Muller had never really sacrificed parts of his game to help Robert Lewandowski. Um, some other reasons I think that fans should be optimistic or excited. Well, we talked about Matthijs Delict a lot, and we talked about how he is a foundational level player as a center back. This is exciting because we're going to be able to watch him grow and watch him evolve with this team and develop into that leader they have so sorely needed on the back line since Mats Hummels left. And while at some point you look at a player like Nicholas Sula and you think he could have evolved to get there, I don't think Sula was ever going to be that vocal leader that was needed. I look at Luca Hernandez, and while he's fiery and feisty, I don't think he is quite the type of leader that, that Julian Nagelsman was looking for. I've seen nothing out of Daya Upamakana or Benjamin Pavar or Tanganyazu that indicates they are that type of player. But with DeLicht, we've shown that he's already been a captain. He's already arguably one of the two or three most important players for his national team. He is showing that he is the type of player that could continue to get better, continue to take his game to the next level. And I think if fans want to look at anything, they can look at the excitement around the lick and seeing him evolve. You know, and if you want to really like even look at some other reasons to be optimistic, you're going to get another full season here of Alfonso Davies. He wasn't great last year, but now he should be back. He hopefully is not dealing with the my myocarditis issue anymore. He's hopefully not going to be to be dealing with any of the after effects of COVID either. Hopefully this is a season for him to get back on track. And you've got a couple of other exciting newbies like, Nussar rally is another one who, you know, we've heard a lot about him. We've seen that he, at least in the U.S. tour, was, was capable. He is a reason to be excited. And maybe more than anything, you can look at a player like Joshua Kimmich and see that he took a step back last season. But if he's able to rise his game to the next level, if he's able to get back to that form that we've all seen before, he could be the type of player that, again, pushes this club from being a very good team to being a great champions league winner level team i think it's going to take a lot to get there and as i said when i started this i'm not overly optimistic that it's a realistic goal this season but if things start to go byron's way if muller can be that focal point and that player that everybody thinks he can be if Kimmich can regain his form, if Davies can get back to not just being an offensive minded left back, but also being a complete player. If Gratzka comes back and he's fully healthy and is able to be that dynamic box to box force. If you get the creativity of Jamal Musial and mix it in with the lethal offensive play of Sadio Mane and the best parts of the games of Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané, you really might have something here. So, While it's easy to sit here and, you know, I could pick apart everything and be as negative as anybody, you want to be excited. There are plenty of reasons to be excited. You just have to be realistic about it. And listen, goal number one, as always, is win the Bundesliga. Goal number two is always win the Pokal. If you can somehow get the goal number three in your position to win the Champions League, that would be fantastic, especially with what could be a very combustible situation in terms of player management at Bayern Munich. So I'm excited for the season. I'm really excited to see the DFL super cup with our Bay Leipzig and Bayern Munich. I think it's going to be a tremendous game. I'm personally picking Bayern to be a three, one winner, but um, you know, wouldn't surprise me if Leipzig is able to, to really come out and throw some haymakers at Bayern Munich, it would be kind of interesting to see what will happen at Bayern if they get knocked down early and if they can find a way to fight back. So, uh, As always, I like to to veer off the path of Byron Talk and just give you a little bit of a recap of what I've been doing on the entertainment scene. So I I did finish up Peaky Blinders, and I want to just take a minute to talk about that because obviously Tom Adams and I have (laughs) had a longstanding uh, uh, kind of uh, love relationship with Peaky Blinders. We both love the show. And I think over the last season and a half, I was starting to wonder if... It was going to go astray. Uh, I thought some of the subject matter was probably a little deep for what essentially was becoming a gangster or what is a gangster show. But I will say this, and having finished up the series, uh, one, the season, the series finale was phenomenal, it was excellent. It was done properly, and it, it, it did leave me satisfied, which is what I most want out of any series finale. When it comes to the overall season, like it was an up and down season, there were some good moments, some not so good moments, I do give the cast and crew a lot of credit because they had to deal with some very, very unfortunate circumstances, um, some really tough circumstances to deal with, including losing a cast member, Um, so it was, it was very um, impressive that they were able to put together such a coherent show, to put together such good performances, and make the storylines carry over. If I had any critique of that last season, it was that it was a little bit rushed. Some things didn't always really appear to be apparent. They had to make some assumptions about things. But overall, I left uh, feeling very good about the series, feeling very good about the show, And I think that the finale set up perfectly the long rumored, uh, Peaky blinders movie that's going to happen that will essentially, or supposedly be the the final wrap up of the series. Uh, they won't finish it in a streaming or TV format, but in a feature film type movie. So it should be, uh, everything should be set up, uh, to really finish the show off nicely. And, uh, It lived up to the expectations I had, even if I did um, not always uh, like the writing or direction of the show at times over the past season and a half. I I think, you know, I'm a huge fan of it. And I think it was very satisfying and fulfilling, as always, great acting performances. But uh, the storylines wrapped up in such a way that I was was very happy about it. Uh, Finally, the last thing I'll touch on is I'm still hammering away on Better Call Saul, going week to week with it like everyone else. So uh it's been great. I did not think the Nippy episode was bad. I, I understand there was some online hate for it, but I've wanted to see what life is like for Gene Takovic, living in Omaha, managing a Cinnabon. And this was a great way to see that Saul Goodman slash Jimmy McGill is still there, even if he's even if his name is Gene Takovic. So um, you know, while some people didn't like that direction for that episode, I loved it. Um, my big prediction, and I know nothing about it, is at the end of Better Call Saul, we'll see him linking back up with Rhea Seahorn's Kim Wexler character in uh, one way or another. But uh, very interested to see what happens over these final few episodes. Of course, we know that Better Call Saul leads into Breaking Bad, but we also have the, the black and white Gene Takovic um, storyline going on here. And uh, I really want to see what happens there more than anything. Um, I kind of know, or at least think I know how things are going to play out with leading into breaking bad from Better Call Saul, but I want to see the end here. I want to see what happens with Gene Takovic slash Saul Goodman slash Jimmy McGill. And uh, I'm excited to see how the writing team handles it and how they progress things forward. So that's about all you got from me this week. I am super excited to have been back here. Uh, I'd like to say I'm refreshed from my vacation, but I was in Disney, so that was uh, not much of a vacation for me personally. I was on the run nonstop, and while it was a blast, I feel like I need two weeks off after that just to recover. So um, You can always get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at BavarianFBWorks. You can get Tom at TommyAdam71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. So you can get Samarin, Schnitzel, Swaz. You can get them on the site. Um, Teddy, as well. I don't have any of their Twitter handles. So get them on our site. And I do want to say this is the last weekend for the World uh, Podcast, um, World Soccer Talk Club Podcast of the Year award that we were nominated for. So please get out there, check our site. We've got the voting info there. We really want to win this. This is, like I said, it's the last weekend. So any vote you can give us would be awesome. Uh, We're thrilled to still be in this competition and it would be a great honor for us to win it. Not just for us personally, as the hosts on this, uh, on this network of podcasts, but um, would be a great thing to say about the Byron community and the way they've rallied around us, including the the people on the BFW site. We really appreciate how everyone has kind of rallied and pushed us um, to be in contention at this point. So Again, thank you as always. This weekend, enjoy the match. Have a couple of beers on me. Have a lot of fun, and we will see you next time.